0: It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for subscribing. I appreciate that as well. And thank you for becoming patrons of the program. Like KD. And David, Mark, Lair, Krista, Sam, Dustin, Deborah, Josh, Joseph, Luella, and Timbo, they all became patrons. They went to thepetecalendershow.com. There's a link there that takes you to the Patreon page. You click that, and then you get access to all of the exclusive content, like, for example, the uh, prep sheet. So every topic that I cover, I give you a link to the articles or videos or whatever that I'm pulling from, um, and also the exclusive content like our live streams. We do our live stream every Thursday night, had a good one last night, and uh, where it was pointed out to me, and this is true, I did go back and confirm <laughs> that apparently on yesterday's show I called Nicole Hannah Jones, Nicole Hannah Smith, <laughs> and or Hannah Nicole Smith, or something. Hannah Nicole Jones, something like that. Yes, I've done this before. It's the, they're, the names are so similar to me. Uh, it's, what is it? Uh, the old, uh, well, there's Nicole Hannah-Jones, who was the woman who was just uh, given uh, tenure at UNC, did the whole uh, half the show. And apparently on one reference, I confuse the names. It's, what's the the other person is? Anna Nicole Smith. So Nicole Hannah-Jones and Anna Nicole Smith. I mean, come on, like two of the names... Are almost the same they're just flipped and then the last name is Smith versus Jones like it's very <laughs> so I apologize I <clears throat> didn't even know I did it and uh but Andy uh, who was a listener he said hey uh what, what kind of material do you have uh, at your studio there what kind of posters you got up on the wall I don't even know like I, I couldn't even tell you anything about uh, except she died she overdosed and I think she had a son who also died mysterious circumstances she was was she like a, a a Playboy model or something like that, and then married some rich guy and did a reality show? Yeah, okay. Well, maybe I do know a little bit about her. Um, anyway, <laughs> I don't. That's about it, though. I I couldn't tell you. I never saw the show that she did. I think she did have a show. I think because that's why everybody knew her, right? Anyway, uh, it was completely unintentional. So, uh, what do we got today? Oh, a good day. For free speech and free elections, the National Review editorial headline talking about the two Supreme Court decisions that were handed down. And uh, they do point out, and I agree, that, um, you know, political conservatives have been pretty disappointed with the John Roberts court over the last (laughs) few months and, uh, well, years, actually. Um, But these were two wins. And... I try not to, like, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I try not to, you know, ascribe motive to people and such. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. But I do wonder if there is something to this idea that uh, they try to essentially engage in horse trading, not just for their votes on rulings and such, uh, but I'm talking about the Supreme Court justices. Not that there's uh, you know, some wrangling that goes on, some trading that goes on, um, and debate, you could call it, persuasion. Uh, but I also wonder if there is something to the notion that uh, they will hand down uh, sort of a, a couple of rulings that anger you in order to hand down a couple of rulings that they know you'll like. In other words, make up calls. In sports, these are called makeup calls. They know when they, uh, you know, they call a bad foul on somebody and then they try to make it up with another bad foul against the other team. And so they just try to find one way to kind of even it out, to balance it out. And I wonder if some of that goes on here at the Supreme Court. Um because here are the two rulings the left is not happy with these, but they were happy about the other rulings we went over the other day. They were ha- they were happier with the, uh, with those, not happy with these. So first there is a case called Americans for Prosperity Foundation versus Bonta, or Bonta, Bonte, Bonta, uh, and then there's Bernovich versus Democratic National Committee. So two different cases. Uh, But uh, both related to elections. Uh, The first one, Americans for Prosperity, that is the group, right, the AFP. Um, This one came out of California and the attorney general's office, mainly under Kamala Harris, uh, and then followed by Xavier Becerra, that trampled the First Amendment rights of nonprofit advocacy groups to the privacy of their donors, it was not a coincidence that California launched this initiative at the height of the Tea Party movement. Now, think about how long it's been since the Tea—I mean, it's been 11 years, right? 11 years since the since the Tea Party movement began. That's how long California has been uh, has been doing this stuff. It's this, according to the National Review editors, quote: "It's draconian scope." Applied not only to California charities, but to any nonprofit that solicited donations in the state, even Chinese dissident groups. Think about that. So you've got a, a group that is working against the communist Chinese and the commies are able to get a list of all the donors to that group. What do you think the commies do with that information? Do you think maybe they might, you know, disappear some family members of donors In an age of cancel culture and ever increasing digital surveillance, the Supreme Court found that the risks of harassment and reprisals, quote, are heightened in the 21st century and seem to grow with each passing year. As anybody with access to a computer can compile a wealth of information about anybody else, including such sensitive details as a person's home address or the school attended by his children. Yeah, Uh, this is a recognition of the way the information is used. Finally, because bad actors take this information about who you're donating to and then they target you for harassment uh and destruction professional or personal destruction. We saw it out of California with the prop eight in fact, one of the prop, uh, one of the groups that sued uh was affiliated with the uh the proposition eight uh. A tragedy, I would submit where you had, well, it's not a tragedy. Well, I mean, I guess it was for certain people. They donated money to this campaign. It was uh, in California. Prop 8 was a, a constitutional amendment, I believe. It went before the voters because, like, everything goes before the voters in California with their referendum. That's The, the referenda, like, they're... Their elections material is like a phone book thick, which I know that's an antiquated reference. Now, nobody even knows what a phone book is. But back in the day, they used to send out phone books. It would literally have everybody's names and addresses and phone numbers in it. Um, and it would be delivered in every you know area code all over America. Anyway, so um th- this uh, referendum went before the people in California and it was to put into the state constitution, I believe it was. I'm just going from memory here, which was a defense of marriage act defining marriage between a man and a woman and it passed. Prop 8 passed in California and then uh leftists started uh going after and I think they eventually did they hack it and steal it. They got a list of all the donors. And they publish, uh, uh, publicized it, and one of, the owner, uh, one of the donors was a guy by the name of Brendan Eich. He happened to be the creator of a web browser called Firefox. His company was called Mozilla, and they fired him. They ran him out of his own company because he gave, I think it was like 500 bucks or $1,000 or something to this campaign and they fired him they ran him out by the way if you're wondering what he's up to now he has created an entirely new browser and it's called brave i use it not endorsed i mean i'm not paid this is not a paid endorsement i'm just letting you know i use the browser and it's fantastic it blocks so much stuff um and you know ad blockers pop-up blockers prevention of you know scraping of the information and everything else it's a a great browser again not a paid endorsement Unlike Mattress Man. Um, But here's the thing. I would tell you that I have a great mattress anyway from them because I bought my mattress from Mattress Man years ago before they ever got on board as an advertiser on the show. But uh, when I uh, got riffed out of the radio world and started the podcast, Chuck, the owner, he was like, what can I do to help? And so he kept advertising with me on the podcast. I'm eternally grateful for that kind of support and honored that he would let me be an ambassador for his business. And it's a great business. He's a great guy. They hire veterans. They, uh, they donate uh, uh, mattresses to charities and such. So I'm happy to be affiliated with them. They're great people. They got great products, too. And right now they got a great deal. It's the July 4th sale. Going on at Mattress Man, you can score a free box spring with the purchase of a mattress from the Biltmore Collection. These are high-quality, luxurious mattresses made by Restonic, edge-to-edge sleep surfaces, maximum adjustability, five support zones for proper spinal alignment, and uh, you get a more restorative, healthier sleep. You can also get synchrony finance, uh, zero down, zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants. They have tons of financing options available at Mattress Men. You can actually go to the website, click on the link at the top, it says financing, and you can apply and get pre-approved right now. So you know before you even walk into the store uh, that you're pre-approved, you know what you can get. Five-star local delivery service, nationwide shipping, a 120-day comfort guarantee, and they're locally owned and operated, as I mentioned, four stores in Asheville, Hendersonville, and Arden. Mattressmanstores.com, buy local and sleep better. So even the Biden administration, in its brief to the court, even the Biden administration admitted that Kamala Harris and Xavier Becerra, the two previous attorneys general out of California, that they had disregarded the importance of protecting the privacy of donors by maintaining donor lists on a system that the trial court found to be, quote, an open door for hackers. So, again, a dissident Chinese group, people that are opposed to the Communist Party in China. Right? You think China might have an interest in hacking that list to find their donors so they can then target them? Um, but And they're not even, the state wasn't even. Uh, taking steps to ensure that that couldn't happen. So all that information has probably already been hacked, right? Um, Which then has a chilling effect. Not to mention, of course, obviously, the non-communist hackers that are out there. But because this is the point, you create political hit lists. And the court recognized that. This is how the information is being used. And let's be honest, this was the purpose of the California measure. This is why they did it. They want to know who's donating to these conservative groups so they can target them, intimidate them, harass them, and get them to stop donating money to political causes that oppose their agenda. That's the purpose. It has a chilling effect. It is a victory for the free speech and association rights of people and groups spanning the entirety of the political spectrum. It was also a shot across the bow against the Democrats' bill, the For the People Act, That abomination, which also had this same sort of California provision that required uh, the uh, you know the the collection of this information and the maintenance of these lists of people who uh, donated privately. So that's a shot. This is again the National Review editorial board saying this is a shot across the bow of the Democrats on that. Now it's also pretty funny that to to do do, here it is a couple of pieces. Uh, This was David. Yeah, David Harsani, a national review, uh, noting the New York Times' coverage, saying that the law was somehow a win for conservatives and the rich. That's what the New York Times (laughs) framed this as. They're just, really, the New York Times is, it is simply a propaganda arm of the Democratic Party at this point. It really is. Um, The law was challenged by, yes, Americans for Prosperity, and. The Times says, you know, it is a group affiliated with the Koch family, right, as well as the Thomas More Law Center, which is a conservative Christian public interest law firm. But it should be noted here, um, no constitutional case has actually ever seen the diversity of a MISI brief uh, or a MISI present in the AFP v Bonta case. I know there's a lot. So uh, amicus brief or amicus briefs, I don't know how you pronounce it. I prefer amicus brief, um, but this is friend of the court briefs, right? Like I'm not a party to this lawsuit, but I'm going to file uh, you know, a, a, a brief that says if I was part of the lawsuit, I would be on this side of it. And the organizations that filed these amicus briefs or amicus briefs, um, they included the ACLU, the NAACP the Legal Defense and Education Fund, the Human Rights Campaign, PETA, the Southern Poverty Law Center. Those are all left-wing organizations and they filed f- uh, a friend of the court briefs, amicus briefs on behalf of the plaintiffs here, Americans for Prosperity. So this idea that it's, oh, this was a win for conservatives and the rich. No, it's a win for anybody that wants to make private donations because they fear retribution from political enemies. There's nothing wrong with that. Do you need to, so here's, do you make private donations? Do you make charitable donations to nonprofits, right? And if you do, would you want everybody to know who you're donating to? It's nobody else's business. Nobody has a right to know what I do with my money. If I want to support a private charity, you have no right to know that. Like, how dare you? Who do you think you are? This is the thing. It's like this common refrain I keep coming back to with these people that, that, that uh, uh, I mean, they're proto-fascists. It's like, you, who do you think you are? By what right do you think you uh, you can know what I spend my money on? So what if I have a charity that I prefer and I give them money? You don't have any right to know that and how much money I donate. It's none of your business. None of your business. Uh, the next case was Brnovich. I don't know. There's no vowel right there. It's B-R-N. How do you pronounce that one? Bern? Bernovich. Bernovich v. Democratic National Committee upheld two Arizona laws that are common across many states. This one has got the left really mad. Really, really mad. A ban on counting provisional ballots if they are cast in person in the wrong precinct. And a ban on ballot harvesting. This is the this came out of Arizona. Two different laws, and both uh, both types of rules are regularly decried as voter suppression by hysterical Democrats. The court properly found that Arizona did indeed have a legitimate interest, both in assigning voters to precincts and in protecting the sanctity of the secret ballot from the threat of voter intimidation or fraud presented by third parties handling ballots. Two, so you got two issues here. You've got the provisional ballots in precinct or out of precinct, provisional ballots, and you have the ballot harvesting operations. Okay, so first off, for folks who don't know, if uh, in a lot of states, and by the way, this was <clears throat> there was a a race down in Mecklenburg County, uh, gosh, early 2000s, I want to say. I mean, it was like 04, maybe 08. I guess it was 04. And yeah, because I think it was a presidential election. It was a county commissioner's race. And uh, there were people thought that one set of candidates and one. And then it turned out that they didn't because there were all these provisional ballots that they then counted which gave the win to another. It was Parks Helms, the incumbent, and he thought he had lost. And then he turned out he won. He got one of the seats. And it was largely due to these provisional ballots that they were counting after the election was over. And by the way, for people who are like, I can't believe all these Trumpkins think that, you know, ballots uh, get counted afterwards and, and elections are stolen and whatever. Like this has been going on a while. The the notion that election counting is rigged, this is not a new Belief among a lot of conservatives because they see how this has been occurring for the better part of twenty years, and this was a a great example of it. So these out of precinct versus in precinct provisional. So what happens is you show up on election day or early voting, right? You show up in person and you go to vote, and they're like, "Oh, sorry, you don't live in this precinct. You don't live here, so you've got to, you know, go into your other precinct and vote there." You're like, "Well, I don't want to." Like, okay, well. Uh, or maybe you just moved in and the records aren't up to date, whatever. They'll say, here's a provisional ballot and you cast this provisional ballot. And then we'll figure out if you were supposed to be voting here or not afterwards. So the people fill out the provisional ballot. OK, so now it goes to the Board of Elections and the people at the BOE, they open it up and they're like, OK, let's take a look. They check your ID or they check your address. They find the voter roll. am like, oh, look at that. You were wrong. You were not actually supposed to be voting in the precinct that you voted in. And so what do you do with the ballot now? That's the question. What do you do with the ballot? And usually the rules were you tossed it. You threw it away. It's a bad ballot. You voted in the wrong place. Sorry, it's scrapped. But what Democrats started doing was they said, well, wait a minute. If Let's say let's say you have a county and the county is divided into 100 precincts and I vote in precinct one, but I'm supposed to vote in precinct 100 and I show up in precinct one. I vote there. I fill out my ballot. I turn it in. They're like, oh, sorry, Pete, you were supposed to be in precinct 100. They instead of throwing it away, the Democrats are like, well, wait a minute. What other races could you have voted in that were the same if you were in precinct 100? So in other words, let's take your precinct one ballot move it into Precinct 100, and then if there are any, like, district races that you shouldn't have voted in because you were outside of those districts, that Precinct 100 is outside of the, the district that Precinct 1 is in, then, okay, well, we won't count your vote there, but all of the, like, the countywide race, we'll count it for that. So, like, a county commissioner's race at large, where, where all of the candidates are running at large countywide, my vote cast in the wrong precinct would still get counted at that countywide level. This creates a large burden on boards of election on election day. It does. It also opens the door for fraud because when you overwhelm a system with lots and lots of paperwork and checking and all of this, um, it, it creates opportunity for mistakes. Um, it also allows you know unethical actors. To try to swarm the system and overload it in order to induce certain results, but it also undermines confidence because, as I mentioned in that race down in Mecklenburg, uh, you had a you know a series of uh, announcements about who had won, and then it all changed, and that raises suspicion. It raises suspicion. So what Arizona was saying is no, if you vote in person, you have to vote in person in the precinct where you live, and. Uh, that was the first thing that they uh, that that was challenged, and then the second was to to do the uh, uh, ballot harvesting. Which folks in North Carolina, <laughs> we've got a bit of personal uh, experience with this, right? This was the issue that throughout the election, the congressional race down in the ninth congressional district, where uh, Reverend Mark Harris had employed the guy who was uh, accused of ballot harvesting. Who, by the way, has still not uh, they, they've still not. Uh, tried that case on the ballot harvesting. He pleaded he pleaded guilty to some like social security fraud because he was taking his disability checks when he was actually still working. He pleaded guilty to that. But yeah, that so far that's it McCrae Dallas, the guy's name. So that's it so far uh, out of that case. Not sure what, you know, what's the hold up on uh, on prosecuting him for the ballot harvesting and the election Rigging That we were told he did. That being said, ballot harvesting raises obvious uh, integrity issues because you have people uh, who will go around and uh, collect the ballots from people and then dump them all off at a central location like a board of elections or these drop boxes or whatever. And when you have ballot harvesters, the door is open for those harvesters to intimidate, harass, persuade, right? Voters to vote a certain way. Do you think people who are, you know, volunteers with the Democratic Party that are running around harvesting ballots, do you think that they would deliver all of the ballots collected from Republican voters? And they, by the way, do know who Republican voters are because the lists are public, right? You can go in and get a list of all of the voters in every precinct, in every county, in every district all across North Carolina, so you know who's a Republican and who's not. And so if you're running around collecting ballots in a neighborhood, you know what addresses belong to Republicans. And maybe you just don't go to them, and hey, they're on their own. Or maybe you go and collect the ballot and then toss it, right? And then the voter would not know uh, until when? Election Day, when their vote hasn't still been counted. Right, They would have to then run down and try to vote. So the Supreme Court said, look, Arizona is okay. They're totally fine to outlaw these things, and this is okay under the Voting Rights Act. It was a six to three decision. I'll get into that in a minute. First, uh, if you are uh, in need of a roof and you don't know who to call, then you're in luck because... I can recommend Balkan Roofing to you. Balkan Roofing, third generation roofers, family-owned and operated. Um, you know the uh, you know Bob Balkan. His dad was a roofer. Um, his daughter, uh, is, you know, his wife is in the business. His daughter is in the business. Her husband's in the business. Uh, his brother-in-law's in the business. Like every and, and, like his grandbaby is going to be in the business uh, soon. I'm sure. I've seen the baby in the business. It doesn't do a lot of work. I will say that. Just kind of sits there, but um <laughs> although although now it's starting to walk, so yeah <laughs> so yeah, now it's doing a little bit more than just sitting there and sleeping, but um yeah, so great people, and they do quality work, high quality work, so much so that they keep winning these awards, these uh, president's awards that are given by the largest roofing shingle manufacturer in North America, a company called GAF they have the president's award, and it's like only given to two percent of all roofing companies, and Balkans won like three or four of them in a row now. That's how awesome that they are. So go check out their website, balkanroofing.com, or give them a call at 628-0390. I I do have to tell you, they close down for the week of July 4th. Uh, So all next week, they're going to be uh, closed up because uh, they... Give all of their uh, all of their workers the week off to spend time with their families, so they can go away, you know, go to the beach or whatever. Um, and so, uh, you can still call them, you can still book an estimate and all of that stuff, but they're just not going to be able to, uh, you know, get back in touch with you or anything for a couple days. So just heads up on that. Uh, but their number is six two eight zero three ninety. That's six two eight zero three ninety. BalkanRoofing dot com. That's B A L K E N BalkanRoofing dot com. So the Supreme Court uh, decisions on particularly the uh, the second one on the Arizona law, it goes at the Voting Rights Act, Section two of the Voting Rights Act, because as the editors of National Review point out, Democrats routinely file lawsuits under this section and they they use this section to try to prohibit any change in election law. Passed by Republican legislatures. We know this. This is what we get sued uh, under in North Carolina by Mark Elias, who is, oh, my gosh, so angry. <laughs> he was so mad on Twitter. Uh, like, this is the end of the democracy, you know, and all this stuff. Um, because this is the this is the section that they use to sue in order to get their agenda enshrined in law. The opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court, written by Justice Alito, Sam Alito, uh, said, is the court's first applying Section 2 to challenges to voting procedures and emphasize that the statutory language passed when the statute was last amended in 1982 focuses on whether state laws have the overall result of restricting the access of racial minorities to voting. It does not prohibit every single rule that makes voting marginally less convenient. Right? This is one of the biggest arguments. We talked about this a couple of, uh, well, probably a month or so ago with David Hersani from National Review, who, um, you know, he said, like, at what point am I, like, completely responsible for making sure that somebody else votes? Like, come on, guys. It is not my job to make sure you vote. It is not, and really, is it appropriate for the entire society to order itself and its rules around the laziest people? Right? the people who don't show any interest at all in voting and now like I'm responsible for making sure that I bring the ballot to them. Like, do I need to like, like, let me go get the ballot. I bring it to you and all you do, you, you, you it, And then I take the ballot and I mail it in for you. Like, do I need to drive you to the polling places? Like at what point do you become responsible for your own vote? That if it's, if it matters enough for you to do, then you should do it. And, any law, I've gone over this many times whenever we talk about voting, uh, uh, vote, uh, voting laws, election laws, voter integrity, is that every law when it comes to elections is in some way restrictive. So any law is by definition going to be a restriction on voting. Otherwise, everybody would be able to vote as many times as they want to wherever they want to, right? Any law, just like, a, I mean, our system is based on uh, a residency, right? It's based on residency. Which, I mean, you think about it, like from the congressional districts, it's where we live. They take census counts. So this way we find out how many people are living in an area. We draw lines around them. So they're like, all right, you people are all represented now by this one congressman. Same thing at the state level, the city level, city limits, uh, county borders. All of this stuff is all based on where people live, as is our election system. So, So making sure people are who they say they are and live where they say they live is integral. To the system. And so every attempt by uh, lawmakers to try to shore up that integral part of the system gets met with a challenge by Democrats. And now you can, you know, probably make assumptions as to why they don't want (laughs) those systems in place, but they say, well, it's going to make it more difficult. And what the Supreme Court is saying here is like, look, what kind of a burden, what is the size of this burden that you're talking about here? Seriously. Like, from Like a ballot harvesting uh, law that says you can't do that. You know, anti-ballot harvesting law. What kind of a burden is that actually imposing on the voter? None. It's not because the voter can drop the thing in the mail. So you're saying now that I can't even buy a stamp. That's that's a burden that's too far? That buying a stamp to mail in an absentee ballot or dropping the ballot off at the Board of Elections. Like that's too much to ask people to do if they want to vote early. If you want to vote in person, you can obviously vote in person. You can vote in person weeks ahead of the election in most states, right? So the court provided these five different guideposts. So this is supposedly now going to help courts decide cases and dispose of the flimsy ones, which is like, I think, what Mark Elias specializes in. Courts should have a sense of proportion about the size of the burden imposed. They say mere inconvenience cannot be enough. It's, that alone is not enough. Number two, courts should ask how far a voting rule departs from what was standard practice when the statute was written in 1982. See, this is textualism right there. This is that the 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 law was written and it says this. And so if you're looking to decipher what the law meant, then you go back to the 1982 law. That's how that works. And so you should say, uh, what was the rule in 1982 and how far... Does this proposed rule depart from what was the standard practice in 1982? Is this more restrictive than what the rule was in 1982? And uh, newsflash, it's not going to be because all of the voting rules have become less restrictive since 1982. Uh, Also. Small disparities in the impact of laws on minority group voting are less likely to violate Section 2, especially where the voter suppression theory relies on differences with respect to employment, wealth, and education. Number four, courts must consider the opportunities provided by a state's entire system of voting rather than individual provisions. And number five, courts should also consider the strength of the state interests served, specifically including the powerful state interest in preventing fraud. And uh, finally, uh, yeah, at the end here, the editors at National Review say that this case, Brnovich, is uh, bad news for junk lawsuits such as the Justice Department's lawsuit against Georgia, which, by the way, you notice it was filed right before this ruling came out. And the speculation is among court watchers that the reason why was because they knew they were going to lose the case, but wanted to get in before the ruling, because if they had filed it after the ruling, uh, they could actually get censured for something like that. Like courts do not appreciate um, being petitioned on laws that uh, are settled. Right. Like like when you know this law just came out and now you're going to file it anyway. They're like, what are you doing? You're wasting our time with this stuff. They tend not to like that. In fact, I think that's what they uh, they just nailed uh, Mark Elias, the Democrat super lawyer. They just nailed him on something like that down in Texas. They censured him for that. Um, Brent Woodcox, who's an attorney in North Carolina for the General Assembly Republican leadership in the Senate, um, he tweeted out after this uh, ruling that, quote, for the better part of two decades, Democrats have tried to use the Voting Rights Act, a law that was intended to aid minority voters and not Democrats. They've tried to use this exclusively as a partisan weapon against Republicans, and now they are complaining that strategy has ended in an utterly predictable failure. That's really what they're upset about, is that they've been using this Section 2 of the VRA to target Republican states, Republican laws, Republican legislatures, and there's a, there's a multi-pronged attack here. Number one is you go after these laws uh, and you undermine the integrity of the election, which then has the added benefit of, uh, of dissuading GOP voters because they think that the system is rigged, and so they stay home. Uh, So there's that. But it also gives Democrats the ability to uh, run on these campaigns that, oh, they're trying to suppress the votes, which, by the way, new polling, I just saw it. I think it was Rasmussen yesterday just came out with new polling uh, that showed something in the neighborhood north of 60 percent of respondents say that uh, it's more important uh, uh, to support election integrity versus convenience and access. So again, so it's almost two-thirds of the voting public, two-thirds of, uh, of those polled by Rasmussen. So again, like, just like voter ID, wildly popular, most people support it, except Democrats. And at some point, you got to ask yourself why. If I give them the benefit of the doubt, it's kind of a cynical play, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say that, well, they, they just you know want the campaign issue. That's really what's going on. They, they want the ability to call Republicans racists, and um, they don't care that most people want the systems to be secure versus convenient. They don't care. I have the statement here from President Joe Biden as well. Uh, first, though, you can make a statement to all of your neighbors when you open up the garage or the shed and you walk out. Into the bright, crisp sunlight, morning, and on a Saturday or Sunday, and you've got a Husqvarna or a Honda power tool, like that sends a very clear message, right, to everyone around that. First off, you have good taste in your uh, in your outdoor power equipment, right, but you also you know what you're doing, right this is not like some knockoff uh, unknown brand or whatever like this is this is for real you are there to do battle you are serious now keep in mind people might start asking you some questions about this stuff and if you're not prepared to answer some of these things you know just be aware of that but you can just direct them to where you got it which is a general equipment rental and they've got all of the answers to all of the questions uh, whether it's buying husqvarna and honda outdoor power equipment like you know, chainsaws and trimmers and hedge clippers and blowers, uh, gas-powered, battery-powered, commercial, residential—they've got all, they've got it all. So whether you're buying or renting, okay, you can go and rent some heavy-duty, like really large pieces of equipment for the big jobs that you need done. And look, if you're like a homeowner and you're just wanting a piece of equipment for one job, why would you buy? You know, a piece of equipment for hundreds or thousands of, or tens of thousands of dollars. That's insane. Just rent it from General Equipment Rental, and they'll show you how to use it, too. So when you bring it back to the house, you know, you'll, you'll look like you know what you're doing. Really, I mean, it's self-interest on their part, uh, the, fo- the, the folks at General Equipment Rental. They don't want you to break their stuff. So they're going to show you how to use it. Go to General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com is the website. Get 10% off your first rental. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road, family owned and operated now for three generations. Tell them you heard it here on the show. I appreciate that. General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com and think outside your toolbox. So here is the statement from uh, President Joe Biden on the Supreme Court's voting rights decision in Bernovich versus DNC. Quote, I am deeply disappointed in today's decision by the United States Supreme Court that undercuts the Voting Rights Act and upholds what Justin, Justice Kagan called a significant race-based disparity in voting opportunities. Uh, there is no race-based disparity in voting opportunities. Everybody has the same opportunity to vote. Early voting, everybody gets to vote. Absentee by mail voting, everybody gets to vote. In person voting on election day, everybody gets to vote. There's no difference. In a span of just eight years, the court has now done severe damage to two of the most important provisions of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, a law that took years of struggle and strife to secure. After all, we have been through... Oh, sorry. After all we have been through to deliver the promise of this nation to all Americans, we should be fully enforcing voting rights laws, not weakening them. This did not uh, weaken voting rights laws. Uh, yet this decision comes just over a week after Senate Republicans blocked even a debate, even consideration of the For the People Act that would have protected the right to vote from action by Republican legislators in states across the country. No, uh, th- so that's a completely dishonest framing of what the For the People Act was and what it would do. It would federalize elections. and As I mentioned about the donor list, it encompassed so much more than simple uh, uh, tweaks or changes to voting rules. It was a nationalization of uh, the election system, all to the benefit of Democrats. And no, that's not a federalist system not a federalist model. Uh, While this broad assault against voting rights is sadly not unprecedented, it is taking on new forms. It is no longer just about a fight over who gets to vote and making it easier for eligible voters to vote. It is about who gets to count the vote and whether your vote counts at all. Who gets to count the vote? The boards of elections count the vote. Boards of elections count the vote. Our democracy depends on an election system built on integrity and independence Except, of course, when they're trying to nationalize it. Um, The attack we are seeing today makes clearer than ever that additional laws are needed to safeguard that beating heart of our democracy. We must also shore up our election security to address the threats of election subversion from abroad and at home, like the Russians, basically. Um, Today's decision also makes it all the more imperative to continue the fight for the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act to restore and expand voting protections. The court's decision... Harmful as it is, does not limit Congress's ability to repair the damage done today. It puts the burden back on Congress to restore the Voting Rights Act to its intended strength. Um, He's got another paragraph, I guess I'll read it. That means forging a coalition of Americans of every background and political party um, to deliver for the nation. That's what we will do. Blah, blah, blah. Now, um. The activists are very, very upset on the left, and uh, this has, uh, you can see it in the social media feeds, this has prompted the renewed calls to pack the the Supreme Court, right, to pack the court, we got to get this done, and in order to get that done, by the way, first thing, first, you got to blow up the filibuster, so uh, this is their plan of attack, they're like, we need to get rid of the filibuster, and then once we, once we get rid of the filibuster, then we will have a free hand to pack the Supreme Court, add a whole bunch of seats, put a whole bunch of Democrats on there so we can get them to say that everything we want is constitutional. And uh, oh, and then also let's bring in Puerto Rico and and uh, make Washington, D.C. a state so we get more senators so we never have to listen to Republicans again. We have a permanent majority, and then we can do the For the People Act, nationalize the elections. We can blow out all of these Republicans at local and state levels. Like, this is the plan. This is their intent. They believe they have a majority uh, of thought, even though I just went over, like, the two different areas where, like, their positions are against public sentiment. It's also, by the way, like school vouchers. That's another one. Democrats, the leadership, uh, and their official party platforms and, and their policy proposals are all against their constituents' uh, support on vouchers. So and, and public at large. But they believe they have like this divine right to govern uh, because they can pull more votes uh, in uh, presidential elections. That's the, I mean that's what this is based on. They have we have more people registered as Democrats, uh, and so therefore we should be able to dictate uh, the policies and the agenda for the entire nation of 350 million plus people. I mean no no amount of ego or hubris packed into any of that at all, right? Uh, so this is the plan. This is what they would like to do. Got to blow up the filibuster, and then you got to pack the Supreme Court. Now the Hill they have a story that says the Supreme Court expansion push is starting to fizzle for real they say i'll tell you about that in a second first i will tell you about old grouches military surplus uh old grouches is your source for real u.s military surplus it is in downtown clyde you knew that already from mres to rain ponchos to camp stoves and backpacks and duffel bags and ammo cans Andy's got the first responder kit that every business should have. If you are a, uh, maybe you're involved in like a scout troop or something or a school or sports team, a small business owner, you should have a, uh, a medical kit or a first responder kit. And then you're going to be prepared. And it's got like 350 plus items in it. And room to add more. So if you've got stuff that you want to add to it, there's room to do that as well. Go to oldgrouch.com and check it out uh, or walk on into the store. It's in downtown Clyde, across the street from the aircraft, uh, anti-aircraft gun. Uh, shop is open Monday through Saturday and, of course, 24-7 online at oldgrouch.com. The Hill reports that an effort by progressives to expand the Supreme Court is starting to fizzle. As a presidential commission tasked with reviewing the controversial proposal saps earlier momentum. Now, I do want to point this out, which is something I mentioned by the way on the live stream that we did last night. Um, which, if you would like access to the live stream, you go to the Pete show.com and click the link that's at the top there and become a patron to the show. Anyway, uh, during this live stream, I, w- I went over how this article at the Hill—it's two pages takes about 10 minutes to read through the whole thing, um, and I'm just going to highlight how this court packing scheme is described throughout the article, okay? Here we go. To expand the Supreme Court, fight over court expansion, who favor court expansion, adding seats, calls for major reform, how to reform, making reforms, debate over reforming the court. Advocates want to expand the court, the desire to expand the court, sidelined the push to reform, Um, expand the Supreme Court, legislation expanding the Supreme Court, to expand the number of seats, the size of the court has been expanded, and for expansion as a first step. What term is never used in the article? Court packing because it has a negative connotation, because it is a negative thing. The, like, every, the whole way this article is framed is that Democrats simply want to, quote, reform. This is This is the way that media adopts the arguments, virtually in total, that Democrats assert. The Democratic assertion here is that they are simply trying to reform the court by expanding it. That's a lie. They're not trying to reform the court. Now, in their mind, they may believe that the court is broken and therefore needs reform, but it is not broken. They're just simply not getting the rulings that they want, and so they are attempting to pack the court with like-minded lawyers, so then those lawyers will issue rulings that they like. That's the point. They're trying to change the rules because they're not winning under the current rules. We know this, they know this, the media knows this. We all know this same thing. We all understand that what the Democrats are doing is a PR game. This is about marketing. And by adopting the language of the left, the media has thrown their lot in, in this case, the Hill, they've thrown their lot in with the Democrats. The Hill is garbage, but this is read by people inside the Beltway, and so that's why I refer to them it's why i bring you their articles is so you're aware what these people are saying and doing and how they rationalize this stuff and if you're not you know paying a lot of attention to this stuff i mean i actually had i won't say who it was but i uh, was talking to somebody a couple months ago when all of this first started and uh you know i said something about court packing and uh, they made a reference to oh that's what republicans have been doing i said well no that's it's different he's like oh yeah it's different when you do it like no, it's literally a different thing. Filling vacancies is not court packing. Court packing was what FDR did. Hence, they gave, it gave rise to this term. That's when it was created, was when FDR threatened the U.S. Supreme Court to add additional seats if he didn't get rulings that he wanted. And it was a pressure tactic, and it worked. The Supreme Court caved. They folded. And... If you don't think that's what's going on right now, you're kidding yourself. They're trying to pressure the Supreme Court to do what they want them to do. One of them, Sheldon Whitehouse, he uh, who attends all of these, you know, uh, uh, exclusive whites only clubs, um, a Democratic senator, uh, he explicitly said this. Well, I, I, you know, our threats probably worked. We, we wouldn't have gotten these rulings. He said this a couple weeks ago. We wouldn't have got the rulings, you know, had we not played hardball like this with them. Had we not threatened the Supreme Court with packing. He thinks they would not have gotten a ruling that they got a couple weeks ago that was favorable. I think it was on the Affordable Care Act is what his comment was about. I mean, that is, that is explicit intent to intimidate, to pressure a court to give you a ruling you want. And so for all these years when conservatives were like, you know, all these justices, they rule this way because they want to be popular on the cocktail circuit. And that that line is sort of dismissed, like, oh, give me a break. Like, they care about that sort of thing. Well, Sheldon Whitehouse seems to think they did. Who to believe? Who to believe? Do you think that they're completely immune from this kind of pressure? I don't. How could they be? They're human beings. They live in the bubble. They live in D.C., right? They, they do... Like they have kids, they they go to schools and stuff, and parents talk and kids talk, and this stuff comes back to them, and yeah, they're aware of what's being said about them and about the court and about certain rulings. Give me a break. Of course, they are aware of this stuff. So yeah, you have a, a campaign underway to threaten the court either through packing, right, or blowing up the filibuster and this sort of thing. Like this is the this is the the intimidation tactic uh, that is afoot. Okay. Uh, However, The Hill wants us to believe that this expansion push is starting to fizzle. And the reason why is Joe Biden. I'll tell you in a minute why uh, they say that. First, why would you use any other real estate agent besides Rowena Patton and her All-Star Powerhouse team? Give her a call at 828-333-4483. She's the only official Homes for Heroes real estate agent in Asheville. It's a national program. They pick one real estate agent per marketplace, and they've been partnered with Rowena uh, since I've known her like a decade now. Um, And this national program gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. This goes to police officers, firefighters, healthcare professionals, educators, and members of the military, so veterans, active duty, and retirees. She's given back about $800,000 to local folks in those five professions. So give her a call. Keep more of your own money. Get your house sold quickly and for more money. Also, she has homes in all price points. So if you're looking to buy, she can help you do that as well. Give her a call at 828 333 And uh, again, the website is mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call. Tell her you heard it here. And then start packing. So the stalled progress is not exactly unwelcome to some Democratic leaders in Washington who are happy to avoid a fight over court expansion, which could end up being a political liability for moderate Democratic candidates in next year's midterm elections. <gasps> no, do you think so? Yeah, court packing. It's not going to be a popular thing among moderates and especially Republicans. And so if you are a... Uh, uh, a Democrat, more of a moderate Democrat who got elected with uh, Republican votes and unaffiliated conservative leaning votes because they didn't like Donald Trump or whatever. Um, packing the court is not a way to keep them <laughs> in, the, in your reelection bid. Congressional Democrats would prefer to stay focused on Biden's infrastructure agenda and conserve their political capital for a potential Supreme Court confirmation fight if Justice Stephen Breyer announces his retirement this week. Yeah, because that could happen, too. And there is a pressure campaign right now afoot on him. Yeah. Democrats are like, so, uh, yeah, you're 82 now, right? Uh, time to retire. Am I right? Uh, hey, here's a set of golf clubs. Why don't you spend some time out on the golf course? They need him to step down because they don't want another Ruth Bader Ginsburg. They're terrified of this. If they can't get Breyer to announce his retirement and like the clock is running, it could happen within the next week. If they can't get him to retire now and then he dies while still, you know, at his post, right now you would have Biden and a split Senate. But if they lose the midterms, they may not get an appointment to that seat. This is like they are terrified. And that might actually prompt them to try to blow up the filibuster and pack the court. Um, progressive activists who favor court expansion, complain that the presidential commission is not empowered to recommend adding seats to the Supreme Court. And it's been set up mainly to slow the, uh, to show rather that Biden isn't completely ignoring their calls for major reform, major reform. Give me a break. For a power grab. That's what's going on. It's a power grab. They're attempting, I said this from the very beginning when they won in 2020, I said they are going to run as far left as fast as possible, because the clock is running, and they know it. They know it. They know they have about 14 months to 18 months to try to get as much stuff done as possible, and probably not even that. Probably less than a year um, because Congress starts running for reelection earlier and earlier if they ever actually even stop ever. So they know they've got to get all this stuff done. they got to institute structural changes so they can remain in power because the stuff that they promote, as I went over earlier, generally not popular. And when they do it, they get tossed from office. And so they're very concerned about this. The commission was formed in April. It held its first public meeting this week, and the first panel of experts offered wide-ranging legal opinions, giving an early glimpse of the lack of academic consensus on whether or how to reform the court, quote-unquote, to pack it. To pack it. You've got people, all these experts are in there, and they don't have a consensus about how or even whether you should be packing the court. And this has got the activists upset. One advocate said, quote, we really don't think of it that much in terms of moving the ball. Clearly, Biden set this up to fulfill a campaign promise and has no intention of actually moving forward on it. So now, is this article meant to call out Biden in an effort to get him and his administration to push this issue forward this packing the court because like oh my gosh biden you're gonna lose these activists you're gonna lose the grassroots that really want this thing to happen so you always got to read this story these stories out of the hill you got to read them for like who are they intended for i'm not the audience you're not the audience for this the audience for this piece is probably the white house and the left in dc we shall see That is a wrap for the episode. Thanks so much for listening. I do appreciate it. And remember, subscribe at thepetecalendershow.com.